I hope you don't mind, but I'd like to set up this morning's passage with uh, something a little bit personal, somewhat embarrassing, some might say, uh, but I think it helps set up what this parable is all about. I need to admit to you that my daughter and I have regular disagreements. And by the way, if you don't know my daughter, Anya, she's 12 going on 20. And we have regular disagreements, it seems, about what constitutes fairness. What Anya thinks is fair and what I think is fair are often different things. And where it can get a little bit embarrassing to talk about this is most of our disagreements about fairness relate to the portioning of food at mealtime. It used to be the case that I could just give Anya any amount of food and she'd be happy. But now, in the McPhail home, eating is like a competitive sport in our home. Who can eat the most? Who can eat the fastest so that you can get seconds and so on? Now, when I dole out portions of food, Anya meticulously analyzes and measures whether or not I have given her the same portion that I've given myself. And I'll be the first to admit, I give myself more food than her, but I've got a perfectly good explanation. My logic, and this is what I say to her, Anya, I'm bigger than you. My body requires more food in order to function properly. And I think that's pretty sound logic. Now, I realize my logic breaks down, for example, when the dispute is over how to divide up a bag of Doritos. Then that same logic doesn't work in the same way. What I mean to tell you is that my daughter has developed a keen sense of fairness. And if I don't give her what she thinks is fair, she objects and she challenges me to rethink the distribution. And this is essentially what our parable reveals to us today, is that there are workers laboring in a vineyard, and their view of fair does not match the view of the owner of the vineyard. They charge the owner with being unfair with his distribution of funds. The landowner, as you probably figured out immediately, the landowner in the parable represents God. And the workers in the parable represent those whom God redeems. And it appears that Jesus tells this parable in order to teach his followers about God's disbursement of grace. God's disbursement of grace. Now that sounds like a pleasant theme, doesn't it? We want to sit around on a Sunday morning, tell us about how God disperses His grace to His people. What a pleasant thing to hear. And then we see that some of the workers don't like the way God dispenses grace. They don't like the way the landowner disperses funds. The, the workers feel that the landowner is being unfair toward them. Like a child that has been shortchanged with her portion of Doritos, the workers in the parable charge the owner with being unfair. So let's review what happens here. The landowner begins by heading out very early in the morning looking to hire workers for his vineyard. 
Upon finding suitable workers for his vineyard, he offers to pay them a denarius, a full day's wage, and they agree. And they go to work in his vineyard. And then a few hours later at 9 a.m., the landowner goes out and he finds some more laborers and encourages them, hires them to go into the vineyard to work. And he says, I'll pay you whatever is right. The landowner does the same thing at 12 noon, finds some more workers, hires them, goes out at 3 p.m., finds more workers, hires them, even goes out at 5 p.m., with just an hour left in the workday. This is a long workday. I'm glad we don't work these kind of hours. Six to six. But he goes out at 5 p.m. and he finds more workers. So what you have at the end of the day is you have a group of people who work 12 hours. Another group that worked nine hours. Another group that worked six hours. Another worked three hours. And finally a group that only had to work for one hour. Then the landowner does something unusual. Instead of calling the workers who started the day to come forward first, he invites forward first the group that only worked for an hour. And you can imagine what's going on with all the other groups when the owner gives the laborers who worked one hour, gives them a full day's wage, a denarius. You can imagine you work three hours, okay, I'm going to get a little more than this. You work six, you work nine hours. Those who work 12 hours think this is going to be an excellent payday. He just gave them a full day's wage for working one hour. But then what happens? The first group of laborers come forward and in verse 10, Jesus says they expected to get more. They expected to get a lot more than a denarius. But when this group also received a denarius, we're told they began to grumble and complain against the landowner and charge the landowner with being unfair to them. Let's be honest. If we assess this parable and what takes place, if we evaluate this from a business perspective, we'll agree that this isn't fair. It's not fair to pay... A person who works one hour, the same as the person who works 12 hours, and for the exact same job. It's not fair. If this were a real-life scenario, this would be a time to call in labor lawyers. This would be a time to get the union leader on the phone. Because what happened from a business perspective is not equitable. Every business owner knows you can't pay the person who works one hour the same wage as the person who works 12 at the exact same job. This is clearly unfair by every worldly standard. Which begs the question, what point is Jesus trying to make? What point is Jesus? Why is he so purposely challenging our natural sense of fairness? What is Jesus trying to convey here? Now I want to circle back to that question in a few moments. But first, I want to unpack a few more elements in the parable. I hope your Bibles are open because not all of these are going up on slides here. I think it's important to note that in this parable, the landowner is the one who always initiates the hiring. 
The landowner always initiates the hiring. What we ought not to picture is the landowner sitting at a desk and that there's a long lineup of possible laborers who are coming through, giving resumes, being interviewed, and so on. No, in the parable, in every instance, the landowner physically goes looking for men to hire. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that the landowner's hiring is analogous to how God redeems a person. That is to say, just as the landowner pursued and hired workers, so too is it God's pattern to pursue and redeem us. That God does not sit back waiting for us to come to Him, but it is God's pattern and purpose to go in search of His people, to go after the lost sheep. And just as the landowner hired workers at different points during the day, God redeems His people at varying points in their life. For instance, some of you here today, God redeemed you when you were a young child. Some of you are sitting here thinking, I remember that moment in Sunday school when I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are able to give thanks to God that He saved you as a very young person. Then there are others such as myself who, who weren't saved in their childhood, but it was during my teen years. It was during those years where I was rebelling against God and pushing against God and being skeptical about what I read in the Word. And God went after me and He changed my heart. And instead of challenging His Word, as a teenager I embraced His Word and received Christ. But still there are others... God did not turn on the light in your heart until you were middle-aged. Maybe it was when you're my current age, in my 40s. Maybe it was in your 40s that God shone a light into your heart and, and you accepted Jesus Christ to be your Savior from sin and you resolved to follow Him. Do not despair. God saves people even later in their life. Might be in your 60s you are saved. And might, you might even be sitting there thinking, Well, I don't know if he's even shone the light on in my heart yet. It's okay. God can save a person at any stage. There's no point where you're too far gone. The 11th hour it, it should be a very encouraging prospect for those who want to know God. That God is not limited to that first wave of recruits. That he might save a person when they are young, when they are middle-aged, even at end of life. Just as the landowner hires at differing points, God redeems at different stages in our life. Now we circle back to that question. If hiring the workers at different periods is analogous to God redeeming persons at different stages in their life, what does Jesus intend to convey in this parable when the landowner gives every worker the exact same wage, regardless of how long they worked? Could it be that Jesus means to convey that to properly understand grace, we need to abandon our work for wages way of thinking. Stay with me on this. In order to understand grace, we need to abandon our work 
for wages mentality that we've been taught at a very young age and we continue to live by as adults. Because in most aspects of our life, the work for wages approach fits. It's rational. It's pragmatic. It works. We get out of things what we put into things. We reap what we sow. We receive a day's pay for a day's work. We've become so accustomed to getting what we deserve that we instinctively import these principles into our relationship with God. And I believe Jesus tells this parable in order to blow up that perspective. You want a day's pay for a day's work, of course. You expect to reap what you sow. You you expect to get out of something what you put into something. It makes sense. It's rational. It's pragmatic. But this parable that Jesus tells is intended to blow up that perspective. It's intended to convey that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom, kingdom of God, operates on very different principles than what you and I are accustomed to working within. God's math, if you will, is very different than our math. And the work for wages mentality cannot be applied to our relationship with God. This is very important, not just for coming to Christ, but living as a Christian. This this remains important. We cannot have a work for wages mentality and apply that to our relationship with Christ. Why? Because when it comes to our relationship with God, you don't want what you deserve. I don't want what I deserve. Quite frankly, I don't want wages. I don't want what's coming to me. Why is that? Well, the Apostle Paul frames it for us in Romans 3. He says, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. I've sinned, you've sinned, we've all sinned. And while our sin may be difficult to quantify, it's safe to say we've been sinning our entire life. This is not some new phenomenon that we took on midway through life. We've been sinning our entire life. It's safe to say that our falling short of the glory of God is not an anomaly, but it's a pattern. It's our habit. It's our daily habit to fall short of the glory of God. It's safe to say that the debt that we owe God because of our sin is enormous. And the Apostle Paul says that because of our sin, because of your sin, there are wages to be paid. Here's what Paul says in Romans 6. He says, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why we have to abandon the work for wages mentality. Because we don't want wages. Wages gets us death. It gets us judgment. It gets us wrath. We don't want wages. We want the gift. I don't want God to give me what I deserve. I'm terrified of the prospect of God giving me what I deserve. I don't want what I deserve. I want grace. I need grace. You need grace. 
Pastor Kevin DeYoung frames this by saying, we can either look at life through the fairness lens, or we can look at life through glasses of grace. So there's two ways to go through life. And he's thinking of Christians here. We can either go through life with a fairness lens through which we see life, or we wear the glasses of grace. And DeYoung warns that if we look at life through the fairness lens, we will always feel hard done by. If we have the fairness lens on, we will always have this sense that our friends and our colleagues are shortchanging us. If we have the fairness lens on, we will even think God is shortchanging us. You'll think, God, what did I do that you caused this to happen to me? Or, or that you didn't give me this blessing that I was looking for. That's the fairness lens. But if you look at life through the glasses of grace, you will come to realize that every good thing you receive from God is a gift. Meaning you wake up in the morning and you say, the fact that I'm alive is a gift. The fact that I get to enjoy today is a gift. The fact that I can have food to eat and clean water to drink is a gift. The fact that Jesus would redeem me and call me to himself is a gift. It's not something we deserved. So which is it going to be? Are you going to look at life through the fairness lens? Always feeling that you're not quite getting what you ought to? Or do you look at life through the glasses of grace, understanding that the good things you receive are not things you deserve, but they're things given through the grace of God? The parable, the laborers in the parable had the fairness lens on. They thought they were being shortchanged. The Pharisees in Jesus' day had the fairness lens on. And if we're not careful, we will be tempted to the same. We'll be tempted to look at life through this fairness lens. And there's so much that tempts us in this way. I don't want to make it sound like we're immune to this. There's so much that tempts us to look at life through the fairness lens. Think, for example, of how social media tempts us to compare our life with those of our peers. So you're on Facebook and you read the statuses and... Your friend's life is apparently going perfect. You go on Instagram and you see the photos. You think, oh, my friend's life is perfect. And you begin to compare yourself. You you compare your marriage to their marriage. You compare your family to their family. You compare your job to their job, their vacation to your vacation. We look at social media and it tempts us to compare ourselves. And we read all these things and we compare all these things. And if we perceive that someone is doing better than us, we're tempted to grumble and complain. We might even grumble and complain to God. You might say something like, Lord, here I am trying to do your will. I'm volunteering at church. I'm attending Sunday worship. I'm helping out in my community. I'm trying to make a difference. I'm trying to be a good person. And it's obvious that this person who's not even trying very hard is enjoying seemingly blessing after blessing. They're having good thing after good thing happen to them. And I'm doing all this work. 
pastors and missionaries are not immune from this temptation. Maybe I'm just talking about myself, but I'm probably not. As pastors, as people in ministry, we observe successful colleagues and we do the math on their experience, on their credentials, on their education, and we see how big their ministry is, how big their congregation is, and we grumble and we say, Lord, why are you using them so powerfully? Why are you giving them such an awesome, fruitful, huge ministry? And here I am with this ministry. That's looking at things through the fairness lens. If we think this way, if we look through the fairness lens, if we compare and complain, we've missed it. We've missed it if we play the comparison game. Because the Christian life is founded upon grace. Grace is the most important concept in the theological language that a person can understand. We've been programmed for a work-for-wages mentality. And that mentality does not fit the Christian life and the Christian experience. The grand thing being taught in this parable is a lesson in grace. Everything from the owner of the vineyard is grace here. The fact that he went looking for workers was an act of grace. The fact that he hired some workers was an act of grace. The fact that he paid them anything at all was an act of grace. We don't want to become a part of a work for wages program when it comes to our relationship with God. Because the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. We want the gift. Let's just admit it. We can't earn God's favor and I'm okay with that. Because He sought me. He's purchased me. He's offered me the free gift of salvation. I don't mind that I can't earn my way into heaven. Because He's offered a free gift. And we should never begrudge when God gives the free gift to other undeserving people. We should never begrudge the grace given to our colleagues or to our friends or even to those we struggle to get along with. So pastor, don't begrudge your colleagues' larger, more fruitful ministry. Business owner, don't begrudge the profit levels of your peers. Athlete, don't begrudge the abilities of your competitors. Students, don't begrudge the academic success of your friends. We need to fight the temptation to view life through the fairness lens. Because the kingdom of heaven is not like this world. This is what Jesus is trying to get across. My Father's kingdom is not like this place. The principles that work here don't work in heaven. God's math is different. The kingdom of heaven is different. It's inverted. The kingdom of heaven, it's not first come, first serve. It's not based on seniority. The kingdom of heaven is based on grace. 
And every Christian needs to come to this realization that it's by grace that we have everything we need and we deserve none of it. One of our favorite hymns, we're going to sing it soon, Amazing Grace. John Newton, a great pastor and theologian, we love to sing that hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We love to sing that hymn. But do you love what's conveyed in that hymn? Do you love the admission? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I've been found. I was blind, but now I see. We don't deserve to be rewarded. There isn't a person here today who deserves heaven. I don't know if that sounds strange. Have you ever heard that from a pulpit before? Have you ever heard a preacher say, none of us deserve heaven. None of us deserve eternal life. That's okay. The fact that we get eternal life means that God is gracious and kind and loving and forgiving. That He would give an undeserving law. Eternal rewards says something about the kindness and love of God. We don't deserve this. And God doesn't begrudge giving it to us. It's not as if God's saying, well, you really don't deserve this, but here you go. No, it's not like that. God freely gives His grace, freely gives the gift of eternal life. You didn't go looking for God. God went looking for you. That's why I love that hymn we sung, The King of Love, My Shepherd Is. The picture of the shepherd going in search of the lost sheep. That's what God did. He went looking for you. And when He found you, He called you to work in His vineyard. And you may work in His vineyard for a very short period of time, or you may work for a very long period of time. But what you receive from God will be more than enough. More than what we deserve. Because God's math is different from our math. His generosity. And I don't, this is, I'm going to say something that I think that many Christians don't believe. God's generosity exceeds what you and I can imagine. I don't think the average Christian believes that. God's generosity exceeds what you and I can imagine. How is that possible? Well, because God's generosity is not tethered to what you've done. God's generosity is not tethered to your accomplishments or to your resume or to your good deeds. God's Generosity is not tethered according to what you've done. God's generosity is tethered toward to what Christ has done. And this is an amazing thing. So we're rewarded based on what Christ has done. See, if I get what's coming to me, I get death. But if I get what's coming to Christ, I get life. I get all of heaven's blessings and resources. The blessings of God, the generosity of God is tethered to what Christ has done. That's the message of grace. And grace cannot be purchased. It cannot be earned. Grace is a free gift of heaven's riches. And we receive it by faith. Friends, this might be the most important message to hear. The way to have a right relationship with God. To become a Christian and to live as a Christian. 
Forget your work for wages mentality. Save that for work tomorrow morning. But when it comes to God in you, we don't deserve anything from Him. But that He would shower us with all the blessings that Christ deserves, then we become stewards of something very precious. We're given the Spirit of Christ. We're given the riches of heaven. And we have an opportunity as the people of God to make this world operate a little more like the kingdom of heaven. We have an opportunity of God's people to give this country a foretaste of a heavenly existence when we live according to Christ's principles, when we receive His grace and live for Him. Amen.